certain smile, a certain face can lead an unsuspecting heart on a merry chase. A fleeting glance can say so many lovely things. Suddenly I know why my heart sings. You love a while, and when love goes, you try to. Inside with a tearful pose, but in the hush of night, exactly like a bittersweet refrain, comes that certain smile to haunt your heart again. Hello, everyone. Two very important musicians died in the past week. One of them, whom you just heard, was the Brazilian singer Astrid Gilberto, who died on Monday at the age of 83. Of course, she is most famous for having skyrocketed to world fame with the ever-popular The Girl from Ipanema, a song co-written by her then-husband, which she more or less spontaneously or accidentally recorded when her husband was in the recording studio with the jazz musician Stan Getz. And her solo version of the song made her an overnight star. With her cool timbre and her sultry delivery, she became the voice, in the United States at least, of Bossa Nova. She was much loved, and though she retired from performing in the year 2002, she is well-remembered still to this day. What we just heard was the song A Certain Smile, which was the title track on a jazz-slash-bossa-nova album that she recorded alongside the organist Walter Wanderley in 1966. The other great musician that we lost just a week ago today was the Finnish composer Kaya Sariaho, who died of an aggressive form of brain cancer, but continued to work and compose until very shortly before her death. I love her compositions. She creates these magical sound worlds that are unlike those of any other composer. Increasingly, from the mid-1990s through the end of her life, she composed more and more vocal music and operas, her first opera premiered in 2000, L'Amour de Loin, and was felt to represent a new high in the field of contemporary opera. And if anything, she topped that with her final opera, The Devastating Innocence, which premiered at X two years ago, and which is, dare I say it, a masterpiece. I'm going to play for you an excerpt from a hybrid work of hers, the opera-slash-oratorio La Passion de Simone, which is based on the life and writings of the French philosopher and mystic Simone Weil. The work is structured along the lines of the Bach Passions and incorporates as well in its structure the Stations of the Cross. It is the third of Sariajo's stage works and premiered in November 2006. 
in the year 2020. It was presented by the Royal Swedish Opera, in which the central role was sung by Anne-Sophie von Otter. And we're going to hear a very brief excerpt from that performance. both of these women who operated on very different ends of the musical spectrum both rest in peace. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. Tonight I am going to sing a few of Schubert's songs. First song is An die Musik, to music. I always think of this song as a prayer, 
an expression of deep gratitude felt deeply at a time when there is so much suffering elsewhere. Andy Musik. Episode 200 of Counter Melody. I'm a little stunned and overwhelmed to be arriving at this landmark moment. I'm so grateful to all of you who have lent your ears to listening to the podcast, to those who have shared it, to those who have supported it, whether emotionally or on Patreon or both. I could not have done it without you. And I'm so grateful to have reached this point in the history of this podcast, which I hope will continue for years to come. Because it's such a significant moment, to me at least, I thought it would be a wonderful chance to bring to you one of my favorite singers of all time, the German soprano Lotte Lehmann. Her voice has been a part of my life from a very early age, And revisiting her recorded output has been like spending time with an old friend, a friend whom one treasures and with whom one is very much in sync. We just heard her in a radio broadcast from October 1941, introducing and singing the first verse of Schubert's Andi Musik. The spoken introduction makes clear the disarray of the world at that moment in time, and Lehmann's passionate response to it. Lotte Lehmann was born the 27th of February, 1888, and died on the 26th of August, 1976, at the age of 88. Her significance and importance in so many different aspects of music and singing are incontestable, and transcendent. Once again, I'm opening the episode with a few very short excerpts to give you a strong and immediate sense of Lehmann's significance. First is a duet version of the perennial favorite, Marietta's Lied, from Erich Korngold's opera Die Tote Stadt, which had double premieres in Hamburg and Cologne in December 1920. The Hamburg cast featured Maria Yeritza in the role of Marietta, a role that Lehmann herself sang 
in the Berlin premiere of the opera four years later. And it is from that time that this recording stems, and she is heard opposite that supreme tenor, Richard Tauber. The orchestra of the Berlin State Opera is conducted by none other than a very young George Zell. began her singing career in a most undistinguished manner. She was more or less kicked out of the studio of her first voice teacher before finding a teacher, Mathilde Malinger, the first Eva in Meistersinger, who took her on and helped her develop her voice to the extent that she was offered a contract for small parts with the Hamburg Opera in 1910. It's interesting to note that for a singer who was so renowned for her acting abilities that at the beginning of her stage career in Hamburg, she was often mocked for her ineptitude on stage. But she took it upon herself to learn from the performers around her. And in her third year with the company, she was singing roles like Agathe in Freischütz, Michaela in Carmen, and finally the role that first brought her to true prominence, Elsa in Lohengrin. By the time that she worked with Toscanini in Salzburg, singing the title role of Beethoven's Fidelio, she had become, she had become, in his words, the greatest artist in the world. There exists an extremely poor sound, a shortwave radio broadcast from the Salzburg Festival in 1936 of the first act of Fidelio with Lehmann under the baton of Toscanini. As the European careers of both artists were beginning to wind down because of the political situation there. The sound is barely listenable, but I beg your indulgence for just one minute so that I can play you the very end of this aria. This was a part that stretched Lehmann's relatively lyric instrument to the outer edges of its capabilities. But it's the superhuman quality that she summons that is in fact the key to her interpretation of the character. A woman facing insurmountable odds to save the husband that she loves from sure death. It's also interesting to note here that Toscanini, the king of Comiscritto, who would never allow any of his singers to deviate at all from what was written on the page, 
gives Lehmann a vocal alternative and, in fact, a final cadenza that I've never heard anyone else ever do. This is surely a tribute to the high regard in which he held her. Back in America once more, having returned from Salzburg, Austria, where you heard a portion of Beethoven's opera Fidelio, conducted by Arturo Toscanini and presented as a part of the Salzburg Music Festival. Alongside her operatic portrayals, Lehmann was equally celebrated for her prowess as a leader singer. Her approach to art song and recitals was highly personalized and individualized. Its primary component was communication with the audience, an extremely emotional way of approaching this repertoire, not at all based on an intellectual reading of song or text, but profoundly musical and most of all profoundly expressive. If truth be told, musical and vocal values were sometimes compromised, but never, never, never could Lehmann be called dull or cut off from her audience. This is one of her very first recordings with piano of an art song. Back in the day, the 1920s, these works were often recorded with syrupy arrangements for chamber orchestra. But in this case, Robert Schumann's song Aufträge, Lehmann is accompanied instead by the pianist Hermann Weigert. According to Lehmann's most famous student, Grace Bumbry, Schumann was Lehmann's preferred leader composer. All of her best qualities as an interpreter are already, in the year 1928, on full display. <laughs> Nicht so schnell, nicht so schnell, macht ein wenig kleine Welle. Will dir einen Auftrag geben, an die liebste Mai wirst du ihr vorüber schweben. Grüßest die mir fein, sag ich wäre mitgekommen, auf dir selbst herabgeschwommen, für den Gruß einen Kuss kühn mir zu erbitten. Tausend Grüße sagen und 
Fotomen drei. Sag ich, wer mit dir geflogen, über Berg und Strom gezogen, für den Gruß einen Kuss könnt mir zu erbitten, doch der Zeitdringlichkeit hätte es nicht gewitten. Warte nicht, dass ich dich treibe, wo du träge Wortes schreibe, weißt ja, did my Cesare Valletti episode a couple weeks ago, I played the second verse of his recording of Drink to Me Only with Thine Eyes, and I commented at that time that only Lehmann's recording of this song was as vivid as Valletti's. If you'd like to make a direct comparison, you may refer back to that episode. But for me, this is a perfect example of Lehmann alchemizing a relatively hackneyed tune and sentiment and turning it into something transcendent. Here she is accompanied by her first long-term pianist, the Hungarian Erno Balok. emigrated to the United States fairly late in her performing career. While she therefore had only 11 seasons at the Met, even after retiring from the operatic stage, she continued to give deeply moving performances of art song recitals. I have a recording here with Lehmann's second pianist, Paul Ulanowski, with whom she concertized throughout the end of her career in a live town hall performance of the Johannes Brahms song Kombalt, which is a song set to a poem by Klaus Groth, 
that begs the loved one from whom the singer is evidently estranged to come soon so that these two souls can once again be reunited. Lehmann was a master at creating a story behind everything that she sang. And so you sense the inner life of this singer as she makes this heartfelt plea. The recording is from the year 1949, live from the stage of Town Hall. Now let's go back to Lehmann's very earliest recording, Elsa's aria Euch lüften, die mein Klagen, from Lohengrin. You'll recall that this was the role that really put her on the map. And during her early years in Hamburg, she was mentored as well as subjected to inappropriate behavior by the young conductor Otto Klemperer, who was quite notorious for his aggressive behavior toward young female members of the company. He's surely the kind of person who would not survive well in today's Me Too climate. But Lehmann, unlike her colleague Elisabeth Schumann, successfully evaded his attempts at seduction, but nevertheless the two arrived at a great musical understanding between the two of them. We don't know the details of who's conducting on this recording, but it was made in the year 1914.
probably Lehmann's most important association with a single composer was with Richard Strauss. Lehmann was closely associated with five different operas by Richard Strauss. She sang in the world premieres of three of them and the title role of Arabella, in which she sang an important premiere, if not the world premiere, was written with her in mind. But perhaps most memorably, it was as the Marschallin in Strauss and Hofmannsthal's Der Rosenkavalier, in which Lehmann most memorably placed her artistic stamp. For the three works in which she created roles, the Komponist in Strauss's 1916 revision of Ariadne of Naxos, in the role of Christine in his opera Intermezzo, and most tantalizingly as the Färberin, the dyer's wife, in the world premiere of Die Frau ohne Schatten, there exist no recordings of her interpretations of any of those parts. There are two exquisite recorded examples of her Ariadne, but alas, none of her Komponist, a role in which she jumped in at Strauss's insistence to replace the scheduled Marie Gutteil Schoda. I have a recording here of the Strauss song Cecilie from the year 1921. As Lehmann soars up to the high B, you get some sense of how thrilling she must have been singing the Komponist's apostrophe to music at the end of the Ariadne prologue, just five years earlier. <laughs> Nowadays, the role of the Färberin, the dyer's wife, is cast with 
the biggest dramatic soprano voices. Lehmann did not have a voice like that. At best, she was a jugendlich dramatisch, but Strauss convinced her that he desperately needed her to create this role. As with Christine in Intermezzo, she took a character who was basically unlikable and infused her with a humanity that I'm sure was surprising. But as we already heard with that recording of Fidelio with Toscanini, was central to her characterizations. It's that same quality of profound humanity that made her Marshallin in Rosenkavalier so unforgettable. And we're going to hear two excerpts from that, not from the abridged recording that she made under the baton of Robert Heger in the year 1933, but rather in two earlier recordings around the time that she first sang the Marshallin. Lehmann was the first soprano in history to sing all three parts in Rosenkavalier, the soubrette Sophie, the pants roll Octavian, and finally in the year 1924, the Marshallin. Others who have also performed this feat are Lisa della Casa and Elisabeth Söderström, magnificent in all three roles. In 1925, Lehmann made her first recording from Rosenkavalier, the Marshallin's monologue under the baton of Hermann Weigert. This is an excerpt from that recording. Years later, Lehmann recorded a further excerpt from the end of Act One of Rosenkavalier. We're going to hear the profoundly moving moment, Die Zeit, die ist ein sonderbar Ding, as the Marshallin meditates on what a strange thing that time is 
and how as one gets older, one becomes more and more aware of it. Even early in her career singing this role, Lehmann's insight into and identification with this part are palpable. In this case, we hear the composer-conductor Manfred Gullit leading the orchestra of the Berliner Staatsoper. Lotte Lehmann sang was the title role in his Arabella. The singer in the world premiere of that opera in Dresden was the Romanian soprano Viorica Urzuleat, who was the wife of Strauss's frequent collaborator Clemens Kaus. Like another soprano that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Maria Yeritza, the recordings of Viorica Urzuleat are very puzzling documents indeed, because they reveal a voice that is not at all as beautiful, nor as immediate, nor as communicative as that of Lehmann. Lehmann herself sang in the Vienna premiere of the opera the day after her beloved mother died. There was no one else to go on for her, and the eyes of the musical world were on Vienna, for that premiere, so she had to lose her personal sorrows in that role, which admittedly by that point lay a little high for her. But there are two recordings of excerpts from that opera, first of Arabella's 
Act One monologue Mein Elemea, and also of the duet between Arabella and her sister or brother, Zdenka or Zdenko. If you don't know the story, I can't even begin to get into it. I'm going to play you a recording of that duet with Lehmann and the German soprano Käthe Heidersbach as Zdenka. This recording was made, as were so many of Lehmann's recordings in Berlin, this in the year surprise people to learn that Lehmann was equally adept in her performances of Italian opera and French opera as well, both often but not always in German translation. Tosca was a role in particular that Lehmann sang with great success. 
but she first caught the attention of Giacomo Puccini himself when she sang in the German premiere of Suar Angelica. The composer was evidently quite bowled over with her interpretation. I'm going to play you one of two excerpts from the opera that Lehmann recorded. This one is particularly fascinating because it contains music from that opera that clearly was cut fairly early on, is not in the published edition of the score, and which I have never heard before, ever, on any recordings or in any performances. It's in those moments after Santa Mamma where Angelica decides that she will be reunited with her dead baby by taking her own life, by mixing a poison from the flowers that she has cultivated since entering the convent. About two-thirds of the way through this excerpt, one hears music that is once again part of the performing text of that opera, but for the first portion of this recording, this is all music that, as far as I know, has never been recorded elsewhere. Bruno Seidler-Winkler is the conductor. Oh, <laughs> 
Certainly even more surprisingly, Lehmann portrayed the title role was in his final opera, Turandot, which premiered in Berlin in 1927, and from which, in that same year, Lehmann recorded two excerpts. It might amuse people to know that, of course, at the time this music was not well known, so she simply ends her recording of In Questa Regia, In Diesem Schlosse, before the high seas that may have been challenging for her. It's so funny, you know, to think about Lehmann's technique. People often speak of her as if she were a sloppy singer with not only careless musical habits, but a slapdash vocal technique. I don't think that's accurate, and I don't think it's true, but sometimes Lehmann could so commit to the emotional content of what she was singing that both technique and musical values might go out the window somewhat. Anyway, I'm going to play you her recording of Del Primo Pianto, the moment in the third act of the opera after Puccini died. The work, of course, was completed by the Italian composer Franco Alfano and it's most likely he who is the primary composer of this excerpt. I've not studied the sketches, I can't tell you for sure, but certainly we know that the end of the opera from Liu's death onward was only sketched out by Puccini and completed by Alfano. In this excerpt, sung here as Die ersten Tränen, Lehmann has absolutely no difficulty sailing up to a gorgeous high sea, as you will hear. Wie ein Held 
because I simply cannot do an episode on Lotte Lehmann without playing my two favorite recordings of hers. Here goes. We heard her singing in Die Tote Stadt of Korngold, an early success of hers and one of her most glorious recordings. But I think that when she sang Korngold's later opera, Das Wunder der Heliane, that she outdid herself. Though once again, Lehmann did not sing in the world premiere of this opera, which took place in Hamburg, in 1927, she did sing in later performances in Hamburg the same season, as well as both the Vienna and the Berlin premieres. And it is from the time of the Berlin premiere in 1928 that she recorded that extraordinary moment from the second act, Ich ging zu ihm. Now, it's nearly an eight-minute-long recording, so I'm only playing the second part of it as much as it pains me not to play the entire thing. She is vocally radiant here, but even more so personally and dramatically transcendent. The way that the vocal line rises, rises, and mounts as she describes a situation that ends in a musical and actual orgasm is absolutely unlike any other moment in the history of recording. And it brings to mind Kirsten Flagstad's shock when she and Lehmann sang together in Die Walküre, and Flagstad observed the abandon of Lehmann's Sieglinde, stating that she did things that a respectable woman would only do in the privacy of her bedroom with her own husband. Oh, God, 
Now, Lehmann did not sing very much operetta. She recorded only two excerpts of Franz Lehár, and though Rosalinde in Fledermaus was a choice role for her, she never actually sang any of Lehár's operettas on stage. It is, therefore, an unforeseen blessing that we have her recording of the beautiful aria from Lehár's operetta Eva, recorded by Lehmann in the year 1928, to offer a tantalizing glimpse of what she would have been like as an operetta diva. I'm playing the entire recording because I just can't not. It shows her narrative ability, her wonderful way of delivering spoken text, and her ability to soar with such beauty into the final phrases of another of Lehár's memorable waltzes. So war meine Mutter, schön war sie, wunderschön, wie eine Märchenkönigin. Ich sehe sie, wie sie abends vor dem großen Spiegel stand, im Zimmer mit den rosa Tapeten und dem weichen Teppich. Oh, <laughs> 
son was married to a Jewish man and therefore just before the Anschluss had to flee Europe. It pained her particularly to leave her beloved Vienna behind, where she, along with her rival and not-so-friendly frenemy Maria Yeritza, had been one of two of the leading prima donnas of the Wiener Staatsoper. In 1941, she and Paul Ulanowski went into the studio and recorded six Wiener Lieder, of which I'm going to play you one, the ineffable, immortal song by Robert Stolz, Im Prater blühen wieder die Bäume, an evocation of spring in Vienna, which Lehmann infuses with such nostalgia and longing that you feel your heart breaking right alongside hers. she gave her final leader recitals in the year 1951. Lehmann maintained an active musical and artistic presence until the very end of her life. She came to devote herself more and more both to painting and to writing, and while one might have opinions about the quality of her work both as a novelist and a painter, it's in the context of Lehmann's unending quest for artistic expression that it's most helpful to evaluate this work. In 1948, she even had a cameo part in the MGM film Big City, in which she sang a couple numbers and which she greatly hoped would lead to a career in films, playing parts similar to the former opera diva Nina Koschetz, who impersonated many of those mother roles in Hollywood films from that era. That was not to happen, but Lehmann did also go into the recording studio a number of times to record German lyric poetry. And by the way, this allows us to 
examine in more detail Lehmann's importance as a leader singer. In the early years of the 20th century, there were not so many restrictions placed on women singing songs that were later considered only appropriate for men. I'm thinking of the cycles Die Schöne Möllerin and Winterreise of Schubert and of Robert Schumann's Dichterliebe, all of which she recorded and performed frequently as a recitalist. In 1957, she went into the recording studio to make an album of German-language poems, including the complete Winterreise cycle by Wilhelm Müller in the early 1940s with Paul Ulanowski. When I did my episode entitled A Woman's Winterreise about a year and a half ago, I also produced a bonus episode that featured Lehmann's interpretation of the spoken texts, followed by her performances of each of the songs. If you are a Patreon supporter, I urge you to look that up, because it shows in even greater depth Lehmann's extraordinary way of telling a story through song. Right now, I'm simply going to offer one of those songs, Die Krähe, The Crow, first spoken in an emotionally highly charged performance by Lehmann, followed by Schubert's setting of the same text from the year 1940. Eine Krähe war mit mir aus der Stadt gezogen, ist bis heute für und für um mein Haupt geflogen. Krähe, wunderliches Tier, Willst mich nicht verlassen, meinst wohl, bald als Beute hier meinen Leib zu fassen. Nun, es wird nicht weit mehr gehen an dem Wanderstab. Krähe, lass mich endlich sehen, Treue bis zum Grab. Well, 
Later in her life, Lotte Lehmann found a home in Santa Barbara, which she named Orplit, where she settled for the final years of her life and lived with a somewhat younger woman named Frances Holden, with whom most Lehmann scholars vehemently insist she had no physical relationship and was absolutely, positively not a lesbian. Okay. The home was named Orplit after an imaginary world created by the German poet Eduard Mörike and described in his poem Gesang Velas that was set by Hugo Wolf so memorably. During this time in Santa Barbara, Lehmann devoted more and more of her time to teaching, and in 1947 became a co-founder of the Music Academy of the West, where she pioneered the genre of the masterclass, as well as directing early opera productions at the Academy. Some of the students with whom she came in contact in those years are singers of extraordinary historical importance. Primary among them, of course, is Grace Bumbry. Other students included Carol Neblett, Mildred Miller, Benita Valente, Norman Middleman, Janine Altmeyer, and Marnie Nixon. Lehmann's artistic legacy has also been perpetuated by a ring that was given to Lehmann at the reopening of the Wiener Staatsoper in 1955, following its reconstruction after the war. Later, Lehmann gave the ring back to the Wiener Staatsoper and asked that, upon her death, it be bequeathed to the singer of her choice, who best carried on her artistic legacy. Upon her death, the ring passed to Leonie Riesenek, and following her death, it was given, according to Riesenek's wishes, to Hildegard Behrens. Upon Behrens's premature death, the powers that be at the Wiener Staatsoper chose to bestow the ring upon the German mezzo-soprano Waltraut Meyer, the specifications for the awarding of the ring have now changed somewhat, and it is now bequeathed every 10 years to a different singer. Meyer had the ring from 2009 to 2019, and after a pause because of the pandemic, in November 2022, it was presented in a formal ceremony to the Finnish soprano Camilla Nilund. Except for Riesenek, who I don't think ever dipped her toe into the song recital genre. All of these singers are renowned for their performances of both opera and song literature. And while both Meyer and Behrens were primarily opera singers, both devoted a portion of their careers to the Liederabend. Hildegard Behrens, in particular, made a number of beautiful recordings of art song, including one which I am going to feature on this week's bonus episode. So, if you are interested in hearing Hildegard Behrens in recital, or if you are interested in hearing Lehmann's spoken and sung performances of Winterreise, then maybe you'd like to become a subscriber to Counter Melody on Patreon. 
If you are so moved, I invite you to go to patreon.com slash countermelody, where you can make your contribution of any amount, either per month or per year, and gain access to all of those bonus episodes that I've published. Last week, we heard Felicia Weathers. This week, it will be Hildegard Behrens. And next week, it will be a very rare recording of Peter Pierce and Benjamin Britten, as I devote one of my Pride Month episodes to these two artists. Let's conclude today's episode with a few more examples of Lehmann singing Lieder. As you might have guessed by that reference to Orplit, Lehmann was an early and passionate advocate for the Lieder of Hugo Wolf. So often his work is subjected to overly intellectualized musical dissections, but not in the case of Lehmann. She brings the same kind of immediacy and urgency to her performances of his music as she does to the music of Brahms, to the leader of Schumann, to the songs of Schubert. And it's an approach that I find most refreshing. I'm going to play you first her recording of the Mörike poem Verborgenheit, followed by her description of the song and her performance as it was heard in a 1941 broadcast for the CBS radio network. Lass, o oh Welt, o oh lass mich sein, locket nicht mit Liebesgaben, Lass dies Herz alleine haben, seine Wunde, seine Pein. Was ich traure, weiß ich nicht. Es ist unbekanntes Wehe. Immer da durch Tränen sehe ich der Sonne Liebeslicht. Oft bin ich mir kaum bewusst, und die helle Freude zücket, durch die Schwere so mich drücket, wonniglich in meiner Brust. Lass, o oh Welt, o oh lass mich sein, locket nicht mit Liebesgaben, lass dies Herz alleine haben, seine Wonne, Verborgenheit, seclusion. It expresses the will to shut oneself off from the noisy clamor of the world, to seek the gentle beauty of solitude. If sometimes temptation falls as lightning flashes upon one's chosen seclusion, the longing for solitude is not disturbed, but sounds again as a proud confession. Let this heart have alone its wonder, its pain.
Here's a performance of a Schubert song that Lehmann never recorded commercially, but which is thankfully preserved in a live recording from Town Hall in the year 1946. This is the song Der Wanderer, which could almost be the theme song for the alienated, for the dispossessed, for the disenfranchised. It's another one of those songs which is more frequently performed by men, but which Lehmann takes on fearlessly, wringing every ounce of emotion from its poignant text.
Lotte Lehmann waited until after the intermission of her town hall recital on February 16, 1951, to announce that it was to be her farewell to the New York concert platform. The entire concert was captured on recording and has been released in many different formats, both commercial and pirate, over the years. On that occasion, she sang a number of songs from Schöne Mellerin, of which I'm going to play you Der Neugierige, The Inquisitive One. I'm so profoundly touched that this woman, who would turn 63 less than two weeks after this recital, can still summon the innocence, the wonder, the passion of that Miller boy in her performance of this one of my favorite Schubert songs. The diminution in her vocal range is by no means an impediment to our profound enjoyment. Song, I want to add the Neugierige. Oh. 
1958, Lehmann also made a recording of poems by Rainer Maria Rilke, which included, on side one, the complete Marienleben cycle, and on side two, a performance of Die Weise von Liebe und Tod des Cornets Christoph Rilke, a work that has been variously described as a prose poem or a short story based on the story of an ancestor of Rilke's, a soldier from the 17th century. Here is a portion which describes a longing for a place to rest. Rast, Gast sein einmal, nicht immer selbst seine Wünsche bewirten mit kärglicher Kost, nicht immer feindlich nach allem fassen, einmal sich alles geschehen lassen und wissen, was geschieht, ist gut. Auch der Mut muss einmal sich strecken und sich am Saume seidener Decken in sich selber überschlagen. Nicht immer Soldat sein, einmal die Locken offen tragen und den weiten offenen Kragen und in seidenen Sesseln sitzen und bis in die Fingerspitzen so nach dem Bad sein und wieder erst lernen, was Frauen sind und wie die Weißen tun, und wie die Blauen sind, was für Hände sie haben, wie sie ihr Lachen singen, wenn blonde Knabe die schönen Schalen bringen, von saftigen Früchten schwer. Lotte Lehmann died on the 26th of August 1976 at the age of 88. Her legacy has been perpetuated by Gary Hickling, who knew her in her years in Santa Barbara and who founded the Lotte Lehmann Foundation to perpetuate her memory. For a brief period of time, the Lehmann Foundation was based in New York City, and during that period of time, I was a member of the board of directors, where I took it upon myself to be the spokesperson, the torchbearer for the legacy of Lotte Lehmann. The foundation dissolved in the year 2011, but Gary Hickling continues his passionate devotion to Lotte Lehmann, having produced numerous invaluable CD reissues, as well as maintaining the website for the Lotte Lehmann League, which contains a vast trove of information concerning the great German soprano, who is buried in the Zentralfriedhof in Vienna, and whose headstone reads, Sie hat gesungen, dass es Sterne rührte. A quote from Richard Strauss. She sang so that the stars themselves were moved. I cannot tell you how much it means to me today to be able to present this singer who has had such a profound impact on every corner of my life. Thank you so much for joining me. There is a legendary moment at the end of Lehmann's farewell recital from Town Hall, where she breaks down in her performance of the Schubert song An die Musik, unable to sing the final line. I featured that before on the podcast, but for the second verse 
of the song with which we began this episode. I'd like to play instead an early recording of Lehmann's from the year 1927, accompanied by one of those syrupy salon orchestras, but her voice here in its most gorgeous, youthful prime, an ode to the transformative powers of music and of song. Du holde Kunst, du holde Künstlerin, ich danke dir. more episodes of Counter Melody. Much love to you all. <laughs>